0: What's going on, everybody? I'm Dylan Potemri, and welcome back to another episode of Top Shelf. We are closing on and towards the NHL trade deadline. It's about two and a half weeks away now. Teams that sit in fourth, fifth, and sixth have to start deciding whether they become buyers or sellers at this trade deadline. Today's episode, we will be mainly focusing on teams and what they're going to do at the trade deadline. But don't worry, we also got some other information, like about the draft lottery, COVID protocol, and also a referee being fired from the NHL. Anyways, let's just hop right on in to yet another episode of Top Shelf. Alrighty, so to open things up just this morning it was revealed by the nhl that there was going to be some changes made to the nhl draft lottery the drawings in the 2021 draft have been reduced from three to two now if you don't know what this means or you're not really sure about the draft lottery and how it kind of works don't worry i'm gonna do my best to explain it to you so all the teams that don't make the playoffs get put into a lottery system with the worst team having the best odds to get the first pick and the second worst having the second best odds to get the first pick and so on all the way up to 15. However, next year, this will be changed to 16 once the Seattle Kraken get into the NHL because there is 31 teams currently. So 16 make the playoff, 15 don't. Next year, there'll be 32 teams, 16 will make it and 16 won't. So what normally would happen is the top three picks, one, two, and three, would allow any team to jump up to them if let's say the 14th worst ranked team jumped up to the first overall pick then it would go that 14th team would have the first overall pick then the worst team would have the second overall pick and then the second worst team would have the third and all the way proceeding down now what can happen is or what used to be able to happen is that three teams could jump up into those one two and three like you could have the 12th worst team, the 14th worst team, and the 15th worst team all jump up to be one, two, and three. And this would drop the worst overall team down to fourth. Now, this happened last year with the Detroit Red Wings, who got knocked out of the top three, despite having the worst record in an atrocious season. So now this year, only two teams can jump up, meaning that the worst pick can only, the excuse me, the worst team can only have the at worst a third overall pick. I hope that made sense to you all um, who don't understand the draft lottery. Um, two other changes that are also gonna be made is for 2022. These won't apply for this year. So one of these changes is that teams are gonna be restricted from moving up more than 10 spots in the draft lottery. So there wasn't really much explanation on this when I was reading about it. And there's a few questions I have about it. So I'm going to give my own opinions and kind of see and see if I can kind of work out what they were trying to say. So in the NHL, there are obviously 31 teams, 16 make the playoffs, leaving 15. Actually, there'll be 16 because this will be for 2022 when the Seattle Kraken will be involved if teams are restricted to only moving up 10 spots and we're only allowing for a draw for the first and second overall pick, that means the furthest back that a team could move up is from 12th, because 12th to second is 10 picks. So does that mean that teams that finish 13th, 14th, 15th and 16th are stuck in those positions? That's my one question that I have. Are they just incapable of moving up Or can they win the lottery and then let's say the 15th worst team wins the lottery? Do they just get bumped down to fifth? Um, I think that's a bit confusing, but I'm sure that NHL is going to clear that up. And obviously there'll be more questions that they'll have to clean up and let us know about. But my assumption is that the 13th, 14th, 15th, and 16th ranked teams to get the best odds won't be able to move up in the draft at all. The next change that's gonna be happening for the 2022 draft is that no team will be eligible to win the draft lottery more than twice in a five-year span. They've also specified that the lotteries prior to 2022 season won't count, meaning let's say the Rangers, right? Cause they just won the draft lottery last year. They could win the next two in a couple of years and their other one won't count. So you can only win two within the span of five years starting 2022 clean slate. My guess is that this rule was made to encourage teams to not just continually tank to build up a studded team for the future. Probably they want to encourage competitiveness, so we won't see a situation like Edmonton, who received four first overall picks in the span of six years. Uh, I think this is a fair rule because you could still get two firsts, and then in that span also get three second overall picks in that span of five years. It's just making it so if there's like a top tier consensus first overall, they don't just keep going to the same team and also I think to kind of more discourage tanking. My one question I have about this rule is what happens if a team has traded for a pick? So let's say like the LA Kings have won the draft lottery twice in the past three years. And then they traded for the Panthers' first overall pick in that fourth year. And let's say the Panthers win the lottery, but the Kings have that pick. Uh, Can the Kings still have this third first overall pick? Because they technically weren't the team who won the draft lottery. Um, My assumption is that it will be that the pick will count towards the Florida Panthers in this situation and not against the Kings because they have – the rights to the pick and weren't the actual team winning the draft lottery. Um, I guess we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. And I'm sure there's numerous other questions that GMs and other teams will have to figure out more and more as time goes along. But overall, I think the purpose of this is to allow for there to be an evenness throughout the NHL, the whole point of how the draft order goes. is obviously the team that wins the Stanley Cup doesn't get the first overall pick as a reward because then whoever won the Stanley Cup get the best player, then probably win the Stanley Cup and get a first player. And it would keep going like that and they would just have a dynasty. So the whole point is to kind of have parity throughout the NHL. And I think they want to try and prevent teams like the New York Rangers last season. There was a huge fuss about this last year and it, like it was potential that Edmonton or Pittsburgh, who, who just missed out on the playoffs, could have gotten Alexi Lafreniere. And if that happened, everyone would have been so mad. Uh, I mean, the Rangers still have a very young core, but the Rangers just missed out on the playoffs and get the first overall pick. It doesn't seem like the most fair. And Detroit, who has been consistently just cursed in the NHL draft, can, getting the best odds to win the pick and then dropping out to fourth. Um, Overall, I think the the whole point of this is just to one, discourage from teams from tanking with the two out of five, but then also like allow for teams who are worse to have better odds at getting that first overall pick or second overall pick and so on and so forth. We also just recently found out this morning that former NHL referee Tim Peel has been banned from refing NHL games. In the game between the Predators and Red Rings last night, a soft tripping penalty was called on Nashville's Victor Arvidsson. Peel was actually caught saying on a hot mic, it wasn't much, but I wanted to get an F and penalty against Nashville early in the, and then it cut out. Uh, the National Hockey League Senior Executive Vice President of Hockey Operations, Colin Campbell said, quote, nothing is more important than ensuring the integrity of our game. Tim Peel's conduct is a direct contradiction to the adherence to that cornerstone principle that we demand of our officials and that our fans, players, coaches, and all those associated with our game expect and deserve. There is no justification for his comments, no matter the context of his intention, and the National Hockey League will take any and all steps necessary to protect the integrity of our game." So Tim Peel, who was 53 and had ref 1,300 games, was expected to retire at the end of the season. Um, I've looked into it and I've seen many people who are trying to defend Peel. They're trying to say that it was kind of taken out of context and that he was just trying to make up for a penalty previously called against Detroit by giving them a call. Um, I don't I don't really like this opinion because makeup calls, I, I don't feel like they should be a thing. We see them all the time, but at the same time, makeup calls shouldn't be a thing. You can't penalize a team for something that they played no part in doing. It is not Detroit's fault that you made a mistake and that you made a wrong call by accident from what you said. There's there's a, a difference between I'm not I'm not saying that referees can't make errors like no that can't happen referees are gonna make errors but it's a difference between unintentionally making a bad call and then with this intentionally making a bad call against the other team knowing that you are doing that that completely goes against being a referee you're not supposed to do that um i, I heard a great point that was made and brought up that what happens if the, the game was one nothing in favor of the predators at this point point. So what happens if Detroit goes ahead and scores and makes it 1-1 and now they go into overtime and Nashville loses and they miss out on the postseason by one point. Now, I'm not one to blame referees for the outcome of a game or your season, but that has to be thought about. Like they would technically lose a chance of making the playoffs and because that referee intentionally called against them and intentionally gave away a power play, which was pretty much embellished on the tripping call because he wanted to give a penalty against Nashville to make up for something of his fault. Like you, you can't intentionally make a bad call that just goes against the integrity of being an NHL referee. So I think while people might think, oh, this happens all the time. Referees make make makeup calls, like you just can't, you can't tolerate that as the NHL. And I think they, they did a great job of handling this situation. So as we continue to progress, we're going to switch topics now. Uh, As we continue to progress through the season, more and more games have been postponed due to COVID. Um, Most recently included the Montreal Canadiens and Boston Bruins. Bruins had two of their games postponed, one against the Islanders and one against the Sabres. Jake DeBrus, David Krejci, David Poshnock, Craig Smith were added to the list followed by Sean Corrali, They are expected to host the Oilers, excuse me, expected to host the Islanders on Thursday for their next game. Montreal Canadiens had three of their games that were postponed due to COVID protocol. They were supposed to play the Oilers today and Friday, but were postponed after forwards Joel Armia and Jesper Kokanyemi were added to the list on Monday. The team also won't be playing the Senators on Sunday either. In their next scheduled game, is expected to be against the Senators on Tuesday. This was the first time that the Scotia North division had to have games postponed up there in Canada. They have, there have been 46 games, 46 postponed since the NHL season began January 13th, including 41 because of this COVID protocol, and five have been postponed because of weather-related issues. This has truly been a season like no other before it has been quite hectic there's still so much rescheduling to do and that the standings are kind of all whack because some teams have played like five less games than the others so it's it's kind of hard to determine where teams are at and overall like last we we saw last year when it was only the playoffs that the nhl played in the for to finish out their season. So th- this was new territory for them playing a regular season overall. I think they've kind of done the best that they could try and do. I'm curious to still see, I feel that like we still haven't heard much information about how the playoffs are going to go. If they are they going back to the bubble? Or are they going to do the bubble again? Um, I, I think they should. It worked very efficiently for them, but I know at the same time, they do want to get fans in the stadium for, the playoffs but we still don't know how it's going to work and which division is going to play which division when it comes down to that i know that's still far away but it will matter because also what is the canadian team's going to do i'm assuming because like what if if a canadian team makes it well, a canadian team is going to make it into the semifinals or whatever so how is that going to work with them transporting back and forth between home in a way because the border restrictions, I guess, I guess we'll have to see, we'll we'll wait and see. Maybe we'll find out more later. Um, I wanna move on to the Anaheim Ducks. Um, so Anaheim Ducks have kind of had a bad season. It wasn't expected that they were gonna have the, the best of season anyways. Anaheim Ducks sit in dead last in the West division with just 24 points. Um, their future does seem to be bright though. I wanna talk about their young guns, Jamie Drysdale and Trevor Zegras. Now in Thursday's ninth game against the Arizona Coyotes, the Ducks won 3-2 to two in overtime. Jamie Drysdale managed to nab his first goal in his first ever game, and Zgris scored just a couple minutes later, making them the youngest tandem to ever score their first NHL goals in less than a two-minute and 30 span. Wow. Uh, Zegris, who is 19 years old into 363 days, and Drysdale, who is 18 years and 344 days, Well, Drysdale's shot was just like a wrister from the point with a screen up front. Zegres' goal was the one that everybody was talking about. Uh, He received the pass heading towards the front of the net from Troy Terry and beautifully toe-dragged around the goalie and slotted it just under the glove and above the pad. Drysdale managed to get a secondary assist on that first goal from Zegris and became the third defenseman in NHL history to have a multi-point game in his NHL regular season debut before turning 19 alongside the great Ray Bork of the Boston Bruins and Peter Sabagda of the Montreal Canadiens, which you could say is some pretty good company to be alongside. While the Ducks might not be looking the best for right now and have players like Ricard Raquel and Captain Ryan Getzoff, who's been with them for so long, who might be on the move, both of those players. Their future does look bright. Trevor Zegres led the men's usa uh, team to win uh, in the juniors in the world juniors he helped lead that team and against the strong canadian team who he was very confident about saying they haven't faced anyone like them yet and he backed it up he was the player of the tournament uh the ducks look like they've got a, a bright future going ahead for them along with their goaltender john gibson who's pretty young and signed very long term the final topic I want to get into before I start talking trade possibilities is the game between the Rangers and the Flyers, which was about a week ago from today, where the Rangers absolutely destroyed the Flyers nine to nothing, including a seven-goal second period. Now, Mika Zibanejad had six points in that game and had a natural hat trick in the second period. Uh, Zibanejad has really bounced back after having quite the lackluster start of the season, and it's going to be important that he keeps going. If the Rangers want any chance to make the playoffs, um, the Flyers really have been falling off and struggling. They now sit fifth and just outside of the playoffs. They're 3-6-1 and one in their last 10. In Carter Hart, their expected franchise goalie has had an off kind of season this year with 0.875 save percentage in a 3.85 goals against. And has a record of 8, 8, and 3. Hart is a huge reason of why I thought the Fires would top the East this year, just their hard nose kind of play style with an elite franchise goaltender in that I had them topping out the division in my preseason predictions. But without him, they've become a pretty average team. And I'm not gonna say he isn't going to have a great career because he is just 22, but right now it seems like the Flyers might miss out on the playoffs. The Penguins were the team I was expecting to miss out like most recently because they were struggling, but they've really taken off and now the Flyers are struggling. It's It seems unlikely for them to make it into the playoffs unless they're going to probably have to make some acquisitions at the trade deadline and either Carter Hart or Brian Elliott really need to find something in their bag for them to to make a push and make the playoffs. So now we're gonna get into the trades and all the trade rumors and all of that. So the trade deadline's on April 12th. We have our most recent trade, which was kind of a small one. Uh, The Colorado Avalanche and the Buffalo Sabres made a deal where the Sabres sent goalie, Jonas Johansson to the Colorado Avalanche for a sixth round pick. Not too much. Uh, This was just for Colorado to grab themselves a doable backup for Philip Grubauer who's been taking a large majority of the starts this season. Nothing really much else to discuss here. Um, As we look into that Western division, though, the Blues have been struggling up recently and just recently lost Oscar Sumkist for the entire season. And he's one of a long list of injuries for the Blues. And questions have to be asked if they're going to make the playoffs. Now, I I think they most likely are going to pull it back together, uh, recently adding Vladimir Tarasenko back into their lineup. But a dark horse, look out for the LA Kings. They've been playing very well in are chasing right behind them and could very well sneak into that fourth seed of the playoffs in the West. As for trades being made in uh, the West, I, I don't see much other than what are the Sharks going to do. Uh, I've talked about the Sharks and their huge like situation with their cap space. Eric Carlson said he doesn't want to give up because that's not what he came There to do in San Jose, but I don't see the Sharks going anywhere. Eric Carlson, they're not going to make the playoffs, nevertheless, even the Stanley Cup. I have a feeling the Sharks are going to be stuck in like some sort of limbo, just in this position for a good time with all their huge contracts and like long tenure and on their team that it's not really going to go anywhere. By the time those contracts are up, Carlson's going to be in his late 30s. And his Stanley Cup hopes are probably going to be gone, so his best hope would be getting moved to another team, but I don't know what team is going to take on his $11 million contract, he would, they would probably have to retain quite a lot of that. Um, also, on the same, uh, the San Jose Sharks is Patrick Marlowe, who returned back to the Sharks this season. After leaving, he left to the Maple Leafs for two seasons and then came back to the Sharks last season. And then he got dealt to the Penguins last season and now re-signed back in free agency, um, keeps coming back to the Sharks. But now Marlowe has said he is open to being traded. He's not going to look for it or anything, but if any team is is open to trading for him or wants him, he's, he's open to it. Um, but I, I really don't know what team is going to want a Patrick Marlowe. He's not what he used to be. He's 41 years old. Uh, he would slot in probably as a depth winger if he makes it into the team. If anything, he really is just a veteran you want to bring into a young team. I could only really see him going to maybe like a team like the wild who are making a playoff push and have been really good They're kind of a younger team, maybe throwing a Patrick Marlowe in there. I would say maybe the Panthers, but they seem to have their lines down and have been playing tremendously. I don't know if they would really want to shake anything up there. And I would say that he would fit in very well with the Blackhawks, who are a extremely young team. However, the Blackhawks have came out and made it clear that they do not want to trade for any rentals, which is exactly what Patrick Marlow would want to do. Uh, they've said that they are really looking to um, look to the future and aren't looking for any short team short excuse me, short-term players. They do have a lot of cap space, however, and it could be due to the players they currently have out, but they don't want to lose any prospects and young players that they have. And there's also no sign as to what's going to happen with Jonathan Thames, who's been out this entire season, if he's potentially going to make a return. Um, there hasn't really been any communication between the two, the team and Jonathan Thames about that possibility. He has been keeping up with the team and enjoyed watching them play, but no sign whether he'll make it back or not. The Blackhawks do expect to get back. Dylan Strom from concussion protocol and also Kirby Dock, who has been out for the season after getting injured in like the preseason of the World Juniors. And really adding those two into your lineup is kind of like adding assets at the trade deadline. You get players that haven't really been in your lineup back into your lineup now. And it's kind of just like getting a trade line acquisition without spending anything. The Predators are another team who also sit in the Central Division and are undecided as whether or not they are going to be sellers or buyers. They have Mateus Eckholm, who is determined to be the most sought after player in this trade deadline. The three teams in need of a top D-man include the Bruins, Jets, and Flyers. You could also throw the Toronto Maple Leafs into that situation. The Predators are looking to ask back for a first rounder and a prospect and potentially some third asset um, in that trade. Uh, more recently, there have been news that Ryan Ellis might be available for uh, the demand kind of area. Originally, he was supposed to be an untouchable for the Predators. However, now there's possibility that he could be traded and the Predators are open to it after hearing what they could potentially get back for him. They also have Philip Forsberg who's approaching an expiring deal which might intrigue some teams. However, I think it seems unlikely and they'll hold on to their star player as you can't just give up everyone and move on from every good piece that you have. Now, the question is do the Predators do the Predators sell out and just get rid of some of their expiring contracts and bring in some some prospects and some draft picks? Well, they they currently sit in the central They're in sixth place. They have 31 points. They're trailing behind the Blackhawks by just four points. So not not really that far out they are. But do they think they can catch the Blackhawks and get up with them? I'm not really sure what they want to do. I don't think they have huge aspirations for the Stanley Cup this year, which might entice them more to be sellers than buyers, I would think. I don't know if they really have the team to be able to do it. Uh, UC Saros has looked very good for them. However, I think with what teams and Mateus Eklund being very sought after, I think they're going to be sellers at this trade deadline. So we're going to go back and talk about the Buffalo Sabres who have been a huge topic of conversation here on Top Shelf. Um, I I I feel so bad for Buffalo fans. Um, I don't know what the Sabres organization is planning on doing I think they have Eric Stahl, who's signed to a one-year deal. He's got to go. He's going to go. He's, he is a very, very solid center, can do everything. He's probably not going to want to re-sign with, with Buffalo, so they might as well move him. Um, teams like Edmonton, Toronto, Pittsburgh, and he, even a return to Carolina, all of these four teams, he could be expected to help bolster their bottom six and most likely would probably be a third-line center for them. And then the return they would get per Purcell would probably include a first rounder and maybe a prospect. So I think the Sabres should highly consider moving on from Eric Stahl. Uh, they, they have no chance of making the playoffs and they're going to be one of the worst teams this year. Um, the Sabres sit as a top team, as a seller, and the situation is still unsure about what's going to happen with Taylor hall. Now I mentioned that Taylor hall before I mentioned the previous podcast, the Taylor Hall said he's open to anything and that could mean an extension with the team. However, when he previously mentioned this extension, that was while Kruger was still their head coach, Um, Kruger head coach been the head coach of the Edmonton Oilers while Taylor Hall was a part of them was a huge reason why he decided to come to Buffalo and might've been a big reason why he wanted an extension. However, now maybe he will want to be traded. I've, I've heard many rumors about where Taylor Hall could go, one of them, including Dallas Stars, who might look to make a playoff push and uh, without Tyler Sagan still currently. Um, but any move for Taylor Hall would require him to waive his no move clause that he has. Uh, so I guess we'll just have to wait and see. And as far as the update on Jack Eichel, He's still in the news, uh, and despite him not saying anything about wanting a trade, you could only assume that he m- soon enough he's going to want to move on. Uh, and the Sabres have said they want four first-rounders back from him, which is a huge asking price. But I think Jack Eichel could be well worth it for the right team. The Devils are another team that m- probably are going to be looking to sell. While this young team hasn't looked bad this season, it's unlikely that they're going to make the playoffs this year. And with Kyle Palmieri, Ryan Murray, Nikita Grusev, and Sammy Vattenin all on expiring deals, it's likely that someone's to go. Ryan Murray might seem like the most likely to leave for like a second and a third overall pick to a team that needs a D-man. Like I mentioned, Bruins, Leafs, Jets guys like that, um, they would be getting back more than the fifth, which they had to give up. So they'll be getting a good profit out of uh, Ryan Murray. Palmieri was also linked at last year's trade deadline and would probably bring in like a high pick and a prospect most likely, but being one of the longest tenure devils and being a veteran on this young team I see it more likely that he resigns in the offseason. He's a 30-goal scorer um, and a great two-way player. I think he would fit in great in a lot of teams, but I I think the Devils are going to hold on to him. Nikita Gusev, who exploded last year, is off to a rough start this year and probably won't bring in what he is most likely worth, Um, maybe a prospect or maybe like a fourth or like a sixth, fourth and a sixth, something like that. Um, I see them most likely hanging on to him as the better option as they won't really get what they want from him. Finally, it's Sammy Vattenen, who was dealt last year to the Hurricanes when he was also on the Devils and he re-signed back this offseason. It wouldn't surprise me for him to leave again and kind of get the same return, a third round or maybe like a fourth round pick. He's a very good top four offensive defenseman. Um, and could help push a team into the playoffs. So that's where we're going to wrap up the trade talk for this week, but we will likely have plenty more next week and probably the week after. Now we're going to go into my three stars of the week. At number three is Victor Hedman. Victor Hedman had one goal, five assists for six points, and was a plus eight in Tampa's last four games where they went 4 0. Hedman, who's just been amazing this season, had a great season, is probably on his way to winning the Norris this year, as the Lightning have been cruising and sitting atop of the NHL. At number two, I've got Mika Zibanejad, who had four goals and five assists for nine points and a plus seven in the Rangers' last four games, where they went three and one. Six of those points, as I mentioned, came in the 9-0 stunner against the Flyers, where he had that natural hat trick. And again, if the Rangers want any chance of making it into the playoffs, it's going to require Zabinajad, who's their top one center. And as they sit just four points out of fourth behind Boston, though Boston does have a couple of games in hand. And at number one, this this star could really just be given to the entire first line of the Colorado avalanche, but I'm going to give it to Nathan McKinnon, who had the most points. He had two goals, eight assists for 10 points and a plus seven in Colorado's last four, where they went 3-0 and 1. In this four-game stretch, their first line had 27 points, with Landeskog adding three goals and six assists, and Mika Brayton added five goals and three assists. Avalanche's top line is arguably the best in the league. Um, you could p- debate between them and the Bruins' first line, uh, but if they keep it up, and when this line is like on, like they are insane, and it, it's really hard to keep up with the team. And their second line is also one of the best lines. It's probably the best second line. I don't. I don't think there's a better second line than Colorado's second line. And if they just keep this up, like, and keep their consistency that they lacked in the beginning of the year, they could maybe overtake the Golden Knights and top the West. So finally, I'm going to give you the league leaders across the entire league leading all rookies in points is still Kirill Kaprizov, who has been amazing this year for a while, helping them out so much. He leads all rookies with 25 points. Leading the league's in points and assists, yes, is still Connor McDavid with 60 points and 39 assists. And to add on to that, Connor McDavid has now tied Austin Matthews at 21 goals, which is the most tied for the most in the NHL. Victor Hedman leads all defensemen with 33 points. Peter Morazic still leads all goalies and goals against with 0.99. And Jack Campbell now leads in the save percentage with a 0.965 save percentage. Philip Grubauer now sits alone with five shutouts, topping the entire league. And finally, leading all goaltenders in wins is still the Lightning's goaltender, Andre Vasilevsky, with 21. That is going to do it for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening to another episode. As we approach the deadline, we'll see if any teams look to pull the trigger sooner rather than later with COVID protocols and having to get people quarantined, how the standings are going to continue to switch up as teams settle into buyers and sellers make sure to follow me here on Spotify. I'll catch you all next week on another episode of Top Shelf.